This is episode 230 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled Danny Nielsen and his new book, Straight Flossin' and Other Stories of the American West. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, Bill Aho, who has an ear for good music and an eye for the extraordinary. Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts is brought to you by Discreet Guide, a training company for improving your speaking and writing skills. We hope you enjoy the show. I am so thrilled to have Danny Nielsen with us today on the occasion of the publication of his new book that's called Straight Flossin' and Other Stories of the American West. Welcome to the show, Danny. Good morning, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. I probably know more than anyone what all has gone into the publication of your book. So congratulations. It's really, really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited for it. All right, let me introduce Danny to the audience. So he's here today to answer questions, and he'll also do a reading from his book. So that'll be kind of special for us. He says, much of the last decade, I've worked in and explored the American West. I've enjoyed countless hours behind the wheel driving along the Eastern Sierra, days spent exploring remote desert canyons and moonless nights illuminated by only the stars above. My favorite memories end with sinking my bare toes into the sand and sipping a cold beer while watching the sunset over the desert landscape. Danny is uh, currently working on a PhD in ecology and evolution at the University of Nevada in Reno, where he lives with his wife, daughter, and their corgi. So Danny, as I say, I probably know more than anyone uh, what it's taken to get you to this point. So I'm so pleased that we're here and able to release this podcast on the occasion of the publication of your book. And so let's start out with a question that I'm sure you're going to get a lot is, what does the title mean? What is straight flossing? Well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, the title sort of came from an old friend of mine. I grew up in Alabama. And so this, this family friends of ours had brothers that were, one was my age, one was my older brother's age. And this older brother, Cody, um, was sort of this Southern redneck hippie type genre of individual. He was always traveling around, going to fish shows, dead shows, jam bands and stuff like that. Anyways, so years ago, I was talking with him on the phone. And I was just asking, what's his, you know, what are you up to, Cody? He said, oh, I'm straight flossing it back home from Birmingham. So I, I took it to mean that he's just driving home. But, but in my mind's eye, I knew that what I could imagine was, well, here's Cody driving some junker car that's maybe a few potholes away from, from the junkyard. And he's headed home, and that's his destination, but he's straight flossing it. He's just like along for the journey, along for the ride, not so much worried about when he gets there. It stuck with me. So I, I found myself using that term a lot. And I mean, it, it maybe harkens to the cliche of 
you know, it's not about the destination. Mm -hmm. It's about the journey. Mm -hmm. For me, the, the meaning has also taken on this idea that you shouldn't let the destination or what you think you will know or find at the destination to uh, maybe constrain your openness to learning new things along the way. And so for me, that that's kind of been the meaning of it and, and where I um, first heard the word or the phrase. Yeah, it definitely evokes those images for me too. So I'm hopeful that the readers will, uh, yeah, give us a little bit of time to to create the imagery around that so that they too share in the idea of what is straight floss. And it's not necessarily something no, somebody knows off the bat, but right. once they've read the book, I think they'll have a pretty good idea of what straight flossing means. So Lenny and Cody called me out of the blue the other day. They know the book's coming out. Oh, there you go. And I had a chance to talk with Cody some about this exactly. And he, I, I have on, on a good source from him that, that perhaps I'm on the right track with this mentality. So, yeah, and thanks to Cody for giving us that. Yeah, obviously we liked it because we used it in the in the title. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. What got you into writing in the first place? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think we all write as part of schooling. We have to take classes and do some writing. So I think that in a way we're all writers, and we've all had to write things. In my adult life, I think it became a creative outlet that could help distract me from some of the more technical writing. I, I do a lot for science because I'm I'm in grad school and I've 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 done a master's degree as well in the past. So a lot of writing I've done is is very technical nature, um, which can also have a creative aspect to it as well, which is fun, but creative writing in, in this format has allowed me to explore experiences I've had and kind of allow me to process maybe what, you know, what I see happening in the world. So I think writing has just been a, maybe has become a go-to almost therapy session for me. It, you know, at sometimes I, I also enjoy it because I'm like, Oh, I, I want to create something that maybe others would want to read. Um, of course there's that. Um, it's, it's funny too. My mom, I was home visiting in Utah and she pulled out this, this folder of clippings from school years and stuff, you know, and I was like third grade or fifth grade and all these little writing assignments we had. And I hadn't remembered that actually, I guess I was featured in this newspaper article in Opelika, Alabama, where I grew up. They had printed even at the top, uh, my little two sentence story that I wrote on a computer they were, this was in the early nineties. So computers were pretty much everywhere, but they were still trying to create a buzz around computers in the classroom, how important they are to teaching and, and education. So it was kind of fun to, to see that old newspaper clipping. Your beginnings as a famous author. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's really great. Your stories or the stories that are in Straight Flossin are very place oriented and, and the theme of place really dominates a lot of the stories and is really present and prevalent. Has that always been true for you? Do you think that you are a person who is a particularly affected by place? Yeah, I, I think so. I've, you know, I, I mentioned I grew up in Alabama. I spent 
my formative childhood years in Alabama. And then when I was 15 and in high school, moved to Utah, my family moved out West. So I think that, you know, maybe setting aside that the deep South and Utah are very conservative religious places. They are also very different in a lot of ways. And so I think those two very different places have, and, and being that they both now hold a very important place in my, my whole person Mm -hmm. that I think that they have influenced me greatly. And I think that the, you know, as I've become an adult, I I guess I've had to recognize the influence of that place in my own way of thinking. Not that that place has to dictate who you are, Mm -hmm. but that there's, there's always going to be aspects and influence from, from those places in, in the way you view the world. So I think maybe it's it's subconsciously, maybe if 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 that's the right word, when I maybe write, you know, it just seems like like I'm going to write with place at the sort of center because that's that's often how I view the world. And I think given that people are often a product of of where they are in life physically more than maybe we want to Uh permit that. Right. I think. I think that it's maybe in our globalized world, it's easier to to not be so much. But I think that people are often a product of, of the places they were raised and live in. And to understand that maybe helps to reconcile some of the differences we find amongst ourselves. Knowing you a little bit better, I would also say that you're a very observant person. And I think people who are observant are often very affected by place. And then also the people that you see in those Mm -hmm. places and the people, uh, it's not a book really about people, but people play a big role in the stories in Straight Floss. And so there's definitely an interplay there. I have a question I want to ask you about that. But before we go into that, would you like to do a reading from Straight Flossin? Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Um, yeah, I've picked a hopefully not too long reading. It's actually from the last story in the book titled A Small Recycling Operation. So I'm just going to start sort of in the middle of the end and um, hopefully it'll come together. An old white Chevy pickup pulled up. It's transmission strained. Inside, a strung out tweaker with facial tattoos sat in the driver's seat. A woman next to him. The cab's rear window was smashed out and an emaciated gold and white pit bull peered at us from the truck bed. Hey there, fellas, he said thickly. A hand-rolled cigarette bounced up and down as he mouthed the words. Thin wisps of smoke rose up and out the truck window. Sorry to roll up on you like this, he continued, the cigarette glued to his lip. I gave Cassidy a discreet glance. He stood squarely facing the truck but said nothing. I didn't know what this guy wanted. I wasn't sure I wanted to hang around long enough to find out. Y'all seen any brass out here? The man asked unintelligibly. He pulled another cigarette from behind his ear and lit it on the ember of the first. Grass, I thought. Did he ask if we'd seen grass? Pretty sure no one's trying to grow weed out here. Sorry, not sure I can help you, I said. Cassidy glanced out over the thousands of shell casings littered littering the ground and scratched his head, looking somewhat relieved. 
You said brass, he asked. See, my ass is in a sling here, the man explained as he opened the truck door and slowly slid from the driver's seat. I got to be up in Lone Pine tomorrow, and I ain't got no money. Arms, arms waving as he said the words. Sorry, Cassie said warily. Well, the man paused as he surveyed the area through squinted eyes. A buddy of mine works for LADWP, says there's enough brass out here to fill a five-gallon bucket. The woman eased herself out of the passenger side of the truck. Well, have at it, I said. There's a shitload of shells here. Also, up and over that hill, I pointed to the west. Plenty of target shooters go up there, too. He lifted a bucket from the truck bed, and the woman, bent over and pacing slowly, stared at the ground. The pit bull hopped out to inspect my box of food. A sense of relief coursed through my veins. I still wasn't certain we wouldn't be mugged or worse, but the pair seemed much less nefarious now as they scavenged through the residue of consumerism. The man continued to mumble, and I wasn't sure if he was talking to us anymore. I owe this guy a hundred bucks, you see, he said as he carried off the bucket. Gene Autry Lane up there. I couldn't quite hear what he was saying. Just need a little gas money. Used car lot. His voice faded as he walked away. Cassidy glanced over at me and grinned. Want to grab a couple beers and walk up the canyon a bit? I'm already one step ahead, I said as I pulled two from the cooler. Just lock up. I smiled as I handed him a hams. Shopping bags stuck on creosote bushes waved like derelict flags in the wind. The day's final rounds of gunfire echoed off the canyon walls in the distance. Bullet shells and fragments of bottles glinted in the setting sun. Above, buzzing nighthawks picked off flying insects in midair. We reached the top of a small crag. Inside its cracks, wood racks had stuffed sticks, rocks, and trash collected from the desert floor below. We sat against the warm stone. The eastern sky faded from pastel orange to purple. In the valley far below the canyon, Solar arrays reflecting sunlight looked like small geometric bodies of water, a surreal image in the arid Mojave Desert. Half a mile down canyon, the aqueduct glowed red as it rose to the canyon rim, its precious content sheltered from the dry desert air destined for L.A. I took a long drink from the cold beer and tucked the can in a small nook in the stone, taking care the wind would not blow it over. Below... The couple worked the desert floor. The clatter of brass in the metal pail punctuated the silence. Hunched over and moving in haphazard semicircles, they sifted through litter and debris, cobbling together a minute fortune, piece by piece, from the discarded waste of the careless. That's so terrific. It's just really great. I just love the imagery in that. Yeah, thank you very much, Danny. Thank you. So I should say for our listeners, the book uh, is now out. So you can buy it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. It's available in paperback and in electronic format. And in full disclosure, uh, the book Straight Flossen is published by my company, Whistling Rabbit Press. And so we're really excited to share this with you. So yeah, uh, thank you very much, Danny. And congratulations again. I just think it's lovely. Thank you. Your stories have this really cool interplay between nature in its natural state 
And then as we saw in the story, sort of remnants or traces of people who have been there. And it's always interesting to me that you're just, mostly you're just observing. You're not preachy in this book. And I find that so refreshing right now in this period where we seem to all be inclined to tell each other how to live and be and talk. And uh, yeah, it just seems to be a lot of judgment passing around these days. Is that a conscious choice for you? Or how, how do you approach this issue with the background that you have and the damage that you can see to people, what they do to the environment, but you but you refrain from including that in your writing. How, how does that work for you? I don't know exactly. I think I, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit. I, I don't know if part of it is maybe my science background. Often, you know, when we're trying to study something of interest in science, we we try to do so from an unbiased perspective and make observations, especially in, in ecology. You know, a lot of very fundamental e- ecology is, is very observational based. So it might just be kind of like a instinctive thing that it has, has sort of built into my worldview from, from my work experience. But I think also I've, you know, going back to this idea of place and, and for myself, having kind of grown up in two different places and moved around a lot. It, it just seems like the world is a very complex and nuanced place. You know, the, the answers and the solutions, if there are many out there, are going to require a lot of nuance. And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, if, if I went into an environment where I'm unfamiliar with the people in the place and I just started making assumptions based on maybe stereotypes, to me, that would be to miss the point that the problems in this place where I currently am exploring maybe are fundamentally rooted in something much different than the problems in a large city somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the middle of, of California or the middle of the East Coast or something. So I, I guess I've always just felt like I'm okay just observing. Mm-hmm. I think um, to me too, it's it, it gives you this ability to think of interesting questions, maybe, you know, instead of trying to think of like, oh, here's all the answers that I think could fix the problems here. Rather, what use those observations to think of questions that you might come up with to question the way that I think or the way that that we think. So hopefully this is sort of making sense. But yeah, I, I guess I just feel that in the end, questions are maybe more interesting than answers. Mm-hmm to be more observant allows you to maybe think of questions or, or consider what you think, you know, in a different way. Yeah. I think that's, you know, kind of goes along with the title, right? We were sort of talking about the Mm -hmm. process rather than the destination. And I think that whole theme or that attitude really resonates in the book throughout the Mm -hmm. idea that if you rush to an answer, it's going to close off some questions and, that's that's our loss, right? Yeah. It's especially true, your depiction of the people. And again, this story really reflected that just, you know, very accurate, great imagery for how they talk, how they look. And we can make assumptions about who they are, but they might surprise us as those people did. They turned out not to be quite the, the nefarious people that we thought they were at first. And that's one of the things that I really love about your writing is that lack of judgment, but also your sympathy for the people and, you know, your kindness toward people who find themselves in 
who maybe are kind of sketchy characters, but, you know, who find themselves in kind of sketchy situations. Do you have any thoughts about what makes you sympathetic to people like that? Well, I'm one of four boys, but the youngest is several years younger. So I sort of became a, I was a middle child for a long time. And I developed this, I don't know, incredible middle child syndrome, I suppose. (laughs) I'm a people pleaser. So I think I've always avoided, I'm not saying this, that it's like a, like a a great trait. I mean, I, I think all trait types are important, right? And how we view the world and interact with others. I personally avoid conflict in a lot of settings. And part of that maybe is to take a more easy outlook or, or kind of not be too critical of others that I see. And, and again, I think, you know, a lot of problems that people face are very complicated. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of mental health problems and a lot of socioeconomic wealth gaps. And a lot of large regions of the country have just systemically been, you know, neglected. And so for me, it's like, I I just would feel, I feel bad. I always want people to be happy, you know, like that, that's kind of my life view. Again, not that that's necessarily healthy for, for me all the time, but so I, yeah, I I guess I try to just be humble about it. I I don't, Mm -hmm. whatever answers that I think I have, I don't, I'm not going to assume that other people are equipped with the life and background to be able to resolve their problems with those same solutions. Hopefully I don't get stabbed or something one of these times, you know, that I'm like just sort of allowing myself to be (laughs) approached by these people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's always the trade-off that we make about how suspicious we are of people and are we going to be taken advantage of, but I certainly have found just spending time with you, that it's always been to your benefit to pause, right? And maybe Mm -hmm. especially that's good for a writer to pause and and kind of see what's going to happen before we write off this character. I mean, not literally, but before we dismiss some character that that maybe there's some things that are, that we can learn from that, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it is sort of a writer's approach to, to the world, and and it has to be non-judgmental, I think, or the writing is not very interesting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting advice there for those of you out there who are thinking about being a writer. Is you, yeah, you might have to set aside some of your judgment and just observe. Be write more like a scientist, right? So to talk about writing a bit more, uh, we talked uh, a couple of years ago for the 2020 Eastern Sierra Book Festival, which we're coming up on the fifth anniversary of here this year. And you had done some writing at that point, but you had not yet uh, completed the book. In fact, you still had a lot of writing ahead of you. I think both of us were surprised by how much writing there still was left to do. So looking back uh, over what has been now nearly two years, what do you feel as though you've learned about writing during that experience? Well, uh, you know, a lot of drafts, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of rewriting. I've tried, you know, I've, I mean, I've, I've juggled this, you know, some could argue not very well, but I've tried to juggle it with my trying to finish my school um, on top of a lot of other just family stuff. And so I haven't had the freedom of time to block out writing 
you know, some writers, very prolific writers say, wake up every morning and write until you've reached your daily goal, word count limit or whatever that daily goal is. And I have tried that and lasted for maybe a week or two. Mm -hmm. But I think that given, you know, my, my circumstances of life, you know, I, not everybody needs to do that. I don't think you need to, to write or be a writer. I don't think you have to say that you have to focus on it every day between hour A and hour B. I think that you can give yourself more flexibility than that. And so mm-hmm. I think one thing, especially as I was writing additional stories for this book, and even a lot of the stories that I had written previously that are in the book was that I would I don't know. I don't know what would trigger it, but I would be struck by an inspiration for some story to write. And I would try to write that then as quickly as I could. And sometimes maybe I would draft something out in just a few hours. I mean, these are short stories, so it's not like I'm writing a whole novel, but I think allowing yourself, if you're going to be flexible in your writing, allowing yourself to drop whatever else you're doing, if you have inspiration to write something down, that's been important for my process, at least in this. I think when I first pitched the the book idea to you, I had, yeah, like half of or less uh, than the amount that the book is now contains. And I had other stories that I had written that, you know, at first I thought maybe I would incorporate into the book. But after a while, I I, I realized I didn't think they necessarily fit with the, the sort of thematic elements that, that this has become. Mm-hmm. So that allowed me to think of other stories that I had wanted to write or tell things that actually had happened, you know, like there are many stories in here that I wrote after I first talked to you about the book that were things, even some that had happened very recently that I had always meant to write into, you know, story form. And so this gave me reason to do that. So I think it turned out um, well, I hope. Uh Well, I'm really, I'm really pleased with it and really thrilled to be able to share it with the listeners. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what everybody thinks, but I'm very excited about it. Do you feel as though you read differently now than you did before you had a book under your belt? I don't know. Like, I think I read, I I'm kind of a slow reader. I've always taken a long time to finish books, maybe partly because like sometimes I'll be reading four or five different books at a time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still trying to finish blood Meridian. I've been reading that for like a couple of years Anyways, I think I, if I do read any differently, it's in, it's in the like very, I don't know, maybe you could consider it dull aspects of, of like the technical grammatical things like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is how you properly punctuate quotes depending on, you know, if you're attributing speech to someone or things like that. So I I would say that maybe if I read differently, it's in that like I pick up on the boring things more maybe a little (laughs) bit than like I did in the past. I don't know that it's made me read differently in other like more profound ways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's not surprising, right? The technical aspects of it, putting a book together. But yeah, it, it could be too that the more you write and grapple with certain problems, then when you see that somebody else has had that problem, you see how how they dealt with it, whether it's a, you know, going back in time or, Mm -hmm. you know, a dramatic shift from a different point of view, you know, those kinds of things that, yeah, that are sort of structural or mechanical, but yeah, good writers do it so seamlessly that as a reader, Mm -hmm. you just... Yeah, you just rush on, carried by the waves. But yeah, when when uh, when I try and do it, it's like, Arr! 
boat crashes, <laughs> bad things happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that, that is true. I, I think I have picked up on those sorts of aspects and reading more, you know, like, oh, this is a cool way to in, like start a new chapter or introduce a new character or thread together the storyline, you know, things like that. I, I guess mm-hmm. I do kind of pick up on more. Another interesting thing that maybe I've, I mean, I think it was something that I had read from, I think Stephen King put it in his uh, on writing book. Mm -hmm. And as I've been writing this book and getting more involved in like bringing some book to, you know, reality, it's, it's stuck with me and has become more meaningful. But he says something to the effect of like, what you write is, is a form of telepathy. I can put words on a page and you can read them. And I have entered your mind space without ever uttering any sound. Mm. I think that that, that is pretty powerful. And especially if you think of the long history of publications and writings that, you know, we, we live in a pretty free country now and society where things can be written and read by the masses, but there are periods of history where things were censored heavily and what people wrote really was for political or religious reasons, heavily censored. And so to me, it, it's sort of, it's cool in that thinking that, yeah, other people are going to read this and like think what I was thinking maybe, but also it, it gives you kind of this um, almost respect for the freedom in which we have to, to have this interaction because it's not always been that free. Yeah. And it's a powerful tool that can be, you know, heavily censored by the powers that be if if they if they choose to do so. I think that's pretty impactful dynamic that I've begun to understand a little more. Yeah, it's very writing is extremely powerful, right? This idea of the pen is mightier than the sword. Not sure it's mightier when you've got a sword at your throat, but it but writing is very powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that people will like about reading your book too, is being transported to a different place because the imagery is so strong in the book. And, and these, these locations for some of us seem familiar because we live in them, but for many people, they're very exotic locations, desert, very remote areas, desert locations, lots of wildlife and, and kind of wild people too. So yeah, I think I'm hopeful that readers will really enjoy that and enjoy yeah, being teleported to a different place. Do you think you're going to keep on writing or are you kind of sick of it for the moment? Well, I know I'd love to keep writing. I think I've got my plate full at the moment. I'm finishing my dissertation, hopefully by the end of the summer. So there's a lot of that writing going on. I've not really written any new stuff recently, but I think I've just been busy with getting the book finished and working on my dissertation, but I've definitely got stories and ideas of things that I'd like to write. And I started writing a year or more ago now, just, I had this couple weeks of, well, it was what I was telling you. I was trying to write every day, but I was, Uh I was writing like new stuff, just fictional, you know, stories and things. Well, kind of autobiographical fiction or Romana Clef type, but anyhow, I, I, yeah, there's definitely some, some more writing that I would like to do. Um, we'll see when things settle down a little bit, try mm-hmm. to get into some routine. Yeah. You have a lot going on. That's, that's for sure. And you mentioned blood meridian is McCarthy, a, a, 
a writer that you like? Well, I, I've, I've got other writers that I feel like I've definitely read all their stuff and uh-huh. it hits me. I like Corbett McCarthy's writing. It's very raw and very, well, I think I've read quotes from him. That he's like, he actually doesn't like hanging around with writers, apparently. He, oh. he, he rather prefers the company of scientists and engineers and stuff. This is what I read. Interesting. But he, he's like, I don't, I don't get writers that write about anything other than life and death. But having read some of his books, like I, I get that, you know, he writes about life and death. It's um, true. Blood. And blood. Yeah. It's so I, I enjoy his writing, I guess maybe like his prose is very heavy, right? It's, it's very thick with, with imagery and words and his lack of, of adherence to like punctuation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I mean, you could read a whole half a page is like unpunctuated sentence mm-hmm. i mean i i understand i i understand that some people for them that is like the cream of the crop and i can understand why you know Cormac mccarthy is a very prolific novelist I mean, you know some regard him as kind of the the best current living american novelist i mean all that being said i guess the short answer is that it's a nuanced one i enjoy his writing mm-hmm. i have read some of his books but it's maybe some of it's been more out of paying respect to this thing mm-hmm. that is very important in our kind of contemporary literature. I do find myself struggling sometimes to get through, get through mm-hmm. a chapter, but mm-hmm. I enjoy it. It's interesting. I mean, I think that's really very honorable to read a writer, to pay respect to the to their craft, right? And their ability. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of a mixed blessing. I read Blood Meridian like that, right? I just snapped Mm. through it. It was the first one of his that I read. And then after that, I found him harder to read because his writing I found was fairly similar from book to book. And so, you know, sometimes you can criticize writers for that. It's like, ah, it's just the same. Um, But then when people do try and change genres, then the readers get mad because they because they liked what it was before. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes it feels like you, yeah, you can't, you can't really win. Yeah. And I, the first book I read of Corbin McCarthy was All the Pretty Horses. And I don't, and I remember getting through that one very quickly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's all, and apparently he's got two new ones coming out this fall. So <laughs> we'll have some more yeah. reading to do. <laughs> right. I also would say that I have been taking uh, literature classes and I find that reading with some guidance and some direction and some discipline, frankly, Mm -hmm. uh, also makes a big difference in the reading experience. So it's possible that a lot of these books we would really um, admire more if we were to read them with with some help. And so, yeah, that's a really nice thing about reading. doing it with a teacher or yeah, yeah. some kind of guide, then yeah, you appreciate that more. I'm no literature buff. I'm not an English major or minor. That's true. Are there any other writers that you especially enjoy? Well, I mean, I, I enjoy, you know, I've read a lot of Hunter S. Thompson's books, Ernest Hemingway. I mean, you know, these are probably a lot of people have read those. I've enjoyed coming like Tom Robbins, mm-hmm. Kurt Vonnegut. Um, I'm in a sort of informal book club with some friends. And oh. so we've read a smattering of things. Currently, we're reading this like Pulp Fiction martial arts series book. It's like watching reruns of uh, whatever 
crappy nineties sitcom <laughs> I think of, but it's, it's entertaining. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But we've read other good, but like, you know, I read Tony Morrison uh, beloved, mm-hmm. you know, it's been several years ago now. I'm like, wow, that is an amazing novelist. I guess I've just like tried to read a lot of different genres and, and um, authors, but I think I, you know, I, I read the Harry Potter series. Uh-huh. I was glued to it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. That definitely is like good writing. But I, I feel like I've read the authors that I feel like I've really come around to reading a lot and, and enjoying have been kind of the style of Hemingway or Hunter S. Thompson, where you're, their novels are very much based in their own reality and their writing. I mean, it, it's um, they are processing life events through their fictional works, I feel like. And I, mm-hmm. I guess for me and maybe in the way that I tend to write that, Maybe that's the reason why I really enjoy those authors. Right. Again, you know, going back to this notion of straight floss and and being open-minded to an experience and then combined with your comments about writing as a way to process things. That definitely makes sense, right? Your book fits right in with that style of writing, not so much, you know, fantasy or whodunit or thrillers or all those other things that we also really enjoy. But yeah, that definitely makes sense given the kind of book that you've produced. It's a lot about making sense of of our existence, of our reality, the things that we see, M- making yeah. sense or just or just noting it, right? So we don't mm-hmm. go through life just oblivious. Uh-huh. Right. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe listening who are at the stage that you were a couple of years ago who have little bit of writing and some ideas, but not sure how to move forward. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, everybody would say, oh yeah, just keep, keep at it, you know, keep writing. I, but I think too, don't let anyone else's criticisms or even applaud of your writing, like influence how you want to write or what you want to write. I think even if you never publish something, just having stories written down The process of writing them down can be therapeutic, I think, somewhat cathartic. And then having them there is nice. I mean, you can share it with friends or family if you want, or you don't have to. But I think it's, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's this telepathy too that you have with others. But in a way, it's also, it's in a way, it's telepathy with your future self. You're able to go back and read this thing years later and maybe be transported to a younger version of yourself that maybe reading your own writing is allows that more than just your, your mind is going to forget things. So I think it's, I think it's really important. And I think it slows you down some too. I think we live in a very like content consumeristic sort of culture, you know, like we have access to content. We can consume it at megabytes per second speed. Now we can just be filled with content and to create something whether you're sharing it with other people or just making it for your own self, I think that creative process is, like I said, cathartic, but also it slows you down. Mm-hmm. I think to create something requires you to slow your pace of life down in a way differently than if you're just scrolling content. Time blinks by and, and, mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah, I often talk to my writing clients about writing When you work on your writing carefully and diligently, in a way, you're learning how to think, 
Right. I mean, a lot of it's about communication and how some putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, how would they interpret this sentence? How could they possibly be confused by this sentence? And that's sort of the mechanics of it. But also, if you write well, you force yourself to think clearly and be careful about what it is that you're saying, which I think, especially mm -hmm. being a scientist writing, you realize that it's like, well, I don't actually know this. So I have to phrase it this way because that's actually what I know. Yeah, right. And, and that, you know, that's really, it's a powerful uh, exercise, right? To work on thinking clearly and then being careful about how you put those thoughts into words. But that I, I agree, absolutely. That's part of what's slowing down, that slowing down process is it makes you think carefully and yeah. maybe makes us also behave a little more carefully too, which yeah. Yeah, in our, in our rush through life to death, mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes we forget about that. Well, Danny, thank yep. you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you as always. And before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. The book straight flossing is going to be out this week. It'll be available. Um, as Jennifer said, well on Amazon, but also you can order it through your local bookstore, I believe, Barnes and Noble. I think it's also still, you can order it online through the Whistling Rabbit Press website. Yep. It's actually, it's, it's at a discount all the way through June. Oh, all the way through the month of June. Oh, yeah. Great. Place your orders in. Yeah. <laughs> few bucks off. <laughs> and then also I'll be down in Mammoth Lakes in July 17th, is it? Mm -hmm. uh, Sunday for the Eastern Sierra Book Festival. And that has been our planned book launch, in-person book launch event for this book. So I'll be there talking about the book. I might bring my guitar down and play a little noodling around and hopefully meet some folks and have a fun day. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. So it's uh, a little less than five weeks out now. And you can find out more about that book festival at the website called Eastern Sierra Book Festival.com, Eastern Sierra Book Festival, all one word. And then whistlingrabbitpress.com. Uh, if you want to order the book uh, for a slight discount, uh, you can uh, through June. And then, yeah, come up to the book festival and meet Danny in person. I think you'd really enjoy that. Oh, I was just going to add one more thing as I forgot. I have a website. I have some work to do on it. But if you Google touching gray that or my handle on social media is touching gray and i think that also will direct you toward my website it's a wordpress website and i'll i'll some of that information i will probably add to the show notes of this podcast or or other sources for people to find yep and get in touch if you have any questions about us or the book or anything yeah just let us know we're we're happy to uh, share all right thanks very much danny thank you jennifer this is fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.